0: Hello and welcome to episode 277 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. I'm your host Tony Malakian, and I'm joined by my favorite co-host Wei Shen Wang. How's it going, WS?
1: Hey, it's going great. I am pretty jet lagged uh, from the trip to London, but all all good, all good, really.
0: <laughs> well, you know, so we, we decided to switch around uh, a little role reversal here. Um... So if you want, if all you care about is the conversation with Joe Wald, so we have Joe Wald um, uh, from uh, Bank of Montreal, and we're talking about uh, that. I'm doing a fantastic job as the host right now, but we're going to talk about market structure and uh, some of the SEC's uh, new uh, market structure proposals that they have out and how that affects uh, electronic trading skip ahead we have timestamps and stuff like that but Wei Shen and i are going to talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on here at waters technology and we're going to talk a little bit about her trip to london so again skip ahead if you don't want to hear about us but <laughs> this is the good stuff right here so sure is. Shen, this week well no actually it was it was on friday we published uh, a story what was the headline aladdin trader or what is aladdin trader yeah,
1: uh, I'm pulling it up now. <laughs> it's
0: we only worked on this story for over 18 months, and we don't even know the headline of the story off the top of our heads. But,
1: it, well, because it in fairness, it changed a couple of times, right? So the headline it is what is lot. Aladdin, what is Aladdin trader, uh, BlackRock's fixed income tool still a mystery?
0: Yes. Yeah. So, it was funny. I was. Going through a Google Doc that I had um, at the end of 2021, as a team, we came up with 12 stories that we wanted to address in 2022, okay? And so we kind of just laid them out. Here are 12 stories. Some came to fruition. Some of them just, there was nothing really there. We kind of thought that there might be something there. It didn't really work out. Aladdin was supposed to be kind of a profile of Aladdin. And then it turned into well, it turned into so I gotta be careful with wording, I guess. But so understand if I misspeak on some things, I'm just misspeaking, but that Aladdin, um, uh, so BlackRock Aladdin, the fixed income uh trading platform giant that it is, has execution services EMS like or EMS partnerships with uh, Portware and with Fletcher. trade. sorry yeah
1: <laughs>
0: um <laughs> it's late my time it's well it's only 10 but it's late my time um and so a reporter who used to be uh, on our staff Josephine Gallagher had heard that Aladdin was actually building out an EMS. That was the first rumor that we heard, an execution management system. Um, And that was about 18 months ago, which sent us down a path that was long and winding, I guess. Uh, Why don't you walk us a little bit through it from your end, because you're the one that had to finish this off. Because Josephine joined Trader TV um, at the start of this year. And so that story <laughs> kind of got handed off to Wei Shen. Um, not handed off, just kind of thrown at her and like a like a brick.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, originally it was mine and Joanna Wright's story, who has also yes. left for DL News now. Um, and and then it was sometime in twenty twenty two that yeah, Josephine Gallagher, um the pit bull that she is, you know, heard this rumor. Uh and then kind of the story kind of like became hers. Um so we we had a couple of drafts on this, right? And um uh basically at the time, so one year ago or one and a half years ago now, uh, we realized that it, it was not up to mark really. And it kinda went to the wayside a little bit. Uh while
2: mm-hmm.
1: We, I guess you and I, uh, still tried to uh, speak to people out there, try to get confirmation, um, and we didn't hear anything about it for quite a long time. Yeah.
0: And what was for a story that took 18 months and then hammer this thing out um, as best we could? And so go to waterstechnology.com if you want to read about it um it is right there on our homepage you'll easily be able to find it it's not the lead story anymore but it was the lead story but it's on the homepage what would you say was the most difficult piece of the reporting on the story
1: I'm very glad you asked me this Tony because it was you <laughs> why are you you <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> I kind of thought you were that. All right why tell tell me why I was the most difficult part because I'm an amazing boss at I might say so myself but
1: yeah sometimes (laughs) well I think you were being difficult because maybe you also didn't know what you really wanted out of this story or maybe you knew but you weren't you had so many other things on your plate um which is why I don't blame you but you know uh it, it it was it just kind of um left you a little a little while so you you kind of left me hanging really on a number on a, on multiple occasions by the way
0: all right fair enough fair enough and there are I'm not I am proud of my shepherding this thing along in that the fact that it did come together as an editor but I was never meant to be an editor-in-chief I'm just a reporter at heart you know so <laughs> I will tell the audience my perspective of two separate conversations that we had that I know for a fact that Shen absolutely wanted to murder me. Uh, if she was in the U.S., she would have murdered me.
1: Well, don't, um, don't put it out there. You know, I don't want to be caught by the Fed uh, or well, the, by the cops, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> by the Fed. By
0: the <laughs> Fed. <I was> like <laughs> the New York Fed. <laughs> um, I don't know
1: what I'm saying.
0: So... The the most recent one, I was, I texted Shen and I was something like, I was out drinking, it was late, and I'd been working on on kind of the editing of the final draft of the story. So, and I said, hey, you know, give me a call, let's have a quick ch- chat about this or something like that. And so Shen, like 30 minutes later, text uh, no, back, hey. I'm-
1: I'm going to interject okay, you, 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 that was yes. not, yeah, you sent me a text, this was 5 a.m. UK time, doesn't matter, okay, um, saying this is what you wanted for the story, we were going to go through it and we'll have a chat in the morning when mm-hmm. you wake, When you woke up, yeah. okay, so um, I sent you a message thinking your phone's on silent, fine, you don't reply, two I hours just, later, I was no.
0: in New York City, what do you want out of me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, it was three hours later. So, like, around 8 a.m. eight AM UK time, okay, which is definitely really late your time, you were like, call me on WhatsApp.
0: hmm And so, Shen, it, it took a little, like, maybe 30 minutes later, she called me, as I asked her to do. And I picked up the phone, and I'll do this without cursing or anything like that, just to save Shen. The I don't need her to be more pissed off with me, but she was like... I I go, Shen, it's four in the morning. What the hell do you want? Like, I've been working all day, you know. Can I have some time? Like, just, just like, you told me to call. Like, look at your messages. You told me to call you.
1: (laughs) Yep, yep. And then you conveniently forgot all about this. And when we were meant to chat, yeah.
0: That was, that was even funnier. Because. I see my, you know, as anybody who's ever been drunk and looks at chats the next day, you, know, you kind of look like, all right, what well, I sent, I see what I sent to Wei Shen. Actually, here, let me pull it up. <laughs> uh, this is funny that we're actually talking about this out loud. Um,
1: I'm still pissed. <laughs> let's see.
0: Oh, no, I'm sure. So on Thursday, I send a note saying, Yo, I've done this, yada, yada. And so, as uh, Wei Shen said, I said, um, "Let's talk first thing in the morning." But I'll dictate what first thing entails. I haven't, <laughs> I, ha- I haven't had a day off in two weeks, and I'm on four nights in a row, working till one a.m. And Wei Shen says, "Okay, boss." And then at 3.08, I say, "Call me on WhatsApp," <laughs> and she responds uh, at three twenty-one, saying, "Sorry, just saw your message," and she calls me now I chew her out for calling me up at what is now like around 345 or so uh 341 is when she called and I reply to what I'd said before let's chat in the morning but here's what I want from you yada 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 and I go so I read this the next morning as was this not clear it's almost 4 a.m I've worked so late five nights in a row chat in 45 minutes. Oh, no, that was later on. That was the next thing. I've worked so so late five nights in a row. So in my head, I was like, was this not clear? Because I thought, when I was reading it the next morning, I thought I was like, oh, I'm sorry, was this not clear? Did I not, you know, maybe I wasn't um, specific. Apparently, it really came off as, was this not clear? I've been working five nights in a row. (laughs) So.
1: Yep, I did. I just ignored it. So I was like, you're texting you all. Yeah, first of all, you didn't you didn't realize maybe that you 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 asked me to call you and and then you you berated me on on the phone when I did call you saying like why mm-hmm. are you calling me mm-hmm. at 4am and then you proceeded to you know half asleep screenshot your text <laughs> message and be like was this not clear? I was like, OK, okay I'm not replying. Um. And then, so, what do you, why don't you I tell the audience we're, we're what re- happened when we actually eventually, you know, had a chat the next day? What do you say your opening line was?
0: I don't remember honestly. What
1: you're like? Do you want to talk about this first, or do you want to talk about how you, you know, or do you want do you want me to rip your head off for doing this first? <laughs> and I, I was like, I don't remember. Why don't you go look at your WhatsApp history? Read it now.
0: Like, yeah well, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was that one. Um which it's great that we're recording this and it's just out there in the public uh for HR to make sure to to hammer with later on. But and what was the other <laughs> one? There was one other one that I remember that was not one of my shiny moments. Uh do you remember the other one? I don't
1: know. It's so many. Which one? Yeah, okay. While while I was yeah, in I London know. or
0: I don't know. Ah, who knows? That yeah, was good so many... but anyway.
1: oh, oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah. no, that one's too painful to talk about.
0: <laughs> okay, well, when we get you over here in New York, we'll talk about it. And you can punch me in the face if you like. Thank
1: so, you. I will. You're welcome. Yeah.
0: So we have this story. It took about 18 months. It was reporting by myself. Wei Shen and Josephine Gallagher again, we can't give her enough credit on it. Um, she's the one that started all the reporting on it and digging. and um she's amazing. she's a, she's just a great, she's a great reporter. Um, there's a reason why Trader TV you know poached her from us. Um, and so that story's live. It's an interesting one. Um, if you know anything about it, we would love to hear from you. So there's that. But also... Before we get to Joe Wald, um, Shen was out in Europe, in the UK, in London. I, I kind of just slowly narrowed it down there. Um, <laughs> what was your favorite part about the trip? What what did you hate the most about the trip?
1: Oh, I didn't I didn't hate anything really. Uh, what I loved about it was that I got to hang out with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. and if Reb does feel the like them, yeah, the minions, if Reb feels like their mom, oh actually, Reb has started calling me Grandma because if Reb's their mom and I'm Reb's mom, so I'm their grandma. And we have which so is, many
0: HR violations that we are definitely airing to the public right now.
1: I don't think that's a violation. We just want to care for them, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really felt like that. Uh, so it was really nice to get to hang out with them and like work alongside and uh, sitting next to each other um you know brainstorming here and there um and having lunch together we 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 got like Tesco meal deals it was fun <laughs> i had a lot that's of good food
0: that's
1: <laughs> awesome um uh, but I'd say my favorite part of the trip was the end of it, where um, well, Reb and I and two of our very good friends uh, went went down to went down uh, southeast, I think, to uh, this village town town called Rye, uh, and it was just a nice time, like um, uh, chilling, having meals together, lots of wine. Yeah, that it was nice, relaxing. Nice. It was a good relaxing time before I uh, had to take a thirteen-hour flight home. Well, to Singapore. I was,
0: I was insanely jealous. I was like, I was like, oh man, I wish I could be out there right now. That that looked like it was a lot of fun. So. Um, yeah,
1: we and we saw two seals.
0: <laughs> Shen in the in photo.
1: the water in the water Shen, this, this time. She
0: sends me a photo. <laughs> of, I got to see seals, and so she sent me photos. But these things are like the the way the photo was shot. It was just nothing but land and these dry seals on land. And I go, Aren't they going to die? Like, like where is the water? I thought seals like live by the water. Like, what's happening here? And she's like, Oh no, <laughs> the water was behind me. I go, okay, that makes more sense. It
1: was it was, but they, it's quite far out. So that was um on a weekend trip to see um, a friend up in uh, Lincolnshire and uh, we went to this place called Nook, which is where um seals some seals go to uh, give birth so it happened to be like birthing season uh and so we went up to see the pups and so they give birth on land and they stay on land uh the the pups actually stay on land for a couple of weeks before they go out to sea really so they are land animals for a while
0: (laughs) you see if you were listening to this podcast and you thought that this whole thing was just useless you just learned something about seals that you can now take uh with you and uh go with uh you know to 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 use at your next uh holiday party as trivia for people (laughs) did you know that seals when they're born they stay on land for a couple weeks or whatever (laughs) anyway let's get to a real expert on something how about that uh joe wald bmo uh we're gonna talk market structure we're gonna talk about um, the SEC's market structure proposals and what that means as far as brokers, as far as exchanges about just the trading community. Um, so, yeah. Let's get to And it. now on to the class. <laughs> what an amazing dismount. Goodbye. All right. And now I'm joined here with Joe Wald. Joe, thanks so much uh, for taking time out and uh, speaking with us.
2: Thank you very much. Appreciate being here.
0: Joe, do you want to take a guess when the first time that you were mentioned in Waters uh, Waters or Inside Market Data was?
2: Wow. We are starting out dating myself. <laughs> the bench, huh? Give me um, your bona fides. Give me your bona fides. Goodness. For me, I mean, Started in the business in the in the mid '90s, um, mm-hmm.
1: you
2: know we had edge trade going at around that time. Um, we started, I think, moving into the institutional space early 2000, 2001. So that, that's probably my guess, probably right around was, 2001, 2002. Yeah, 2004 is when uh, edge trade when you were brought up and edge trade
0: was brought up in Waters Technology. So um, uh, this is to say that Joe's been around for a while, so he knows his stuff.
2: Yeah, when they say early pioneer in electronic trading, not messing around. Huh?
0: <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, as you said at the top of the podcast, um, Joe, uh, yo, he's the, he was the CEO and co-founder of um, Clearpool Group. Uh, currently, he heads up BMO's electronic trading um, division strategy for that division. But just for our audience, just quickly, why don't you tell what that job entails? What does that mean?
2: Uh, So really, it's just kind of setting the strategic direction uh, and vision for for BMO's electronic trading business, uh, covering both the institutional side of the business, uh, as well as the broker-dealer side of the business, which was the the traditional clear pool business, uh, and doing so now globally, which is pretty amazing, uh, both in North America, U.S., and our home market of Canada, uh, and EMEA, uh, which we launched uh, about a year or so ago. So uh, it's been fantastic, uh, really working with a, a tremendous group of talented people, um, and really, you know, seeing some tremendous growth uh, in, in, you know, what we're trying to do. So it's been been fantastic. Love being part of BMO. Awesome organization. Fantastic. And so
0: the reason really why we want to have Joe on is so on the podcast and on the What Is Way podcast and also just in watertechnology.com, you know, we tend to talk more with, you know, the, the hardcore technologists, hardcore market data professionals, reference data professional, things like that. but I wanted to have Joe on just to get his perspective around some of the market structure changes that we're seeing, um, because as market structure goes, the technology soon follows that way. Sometimes technology leads, sometimes it sometimes it follows behind. I guess, but this is a subject matter that I am not entirely comfortable with. I prefer to talk much more about like you know large language model generative AI, uh, you know market data stuff. You know things that i'm just more comfortable i've been covering for 14 years but so joe maybe you'll have to carry me along a little bit but if we're looking at trends if we're looking at um if we want to start with the sec's market structure proposals what for you is changing the way electronic trading um what are what are the most important things kind of from that sec uh proposal that are kind of changing
2: the way that firms are thinking about how they address clients', uh, clients needs? Sure. I mean, th- th- there's a lot driving. And like you said, I mean, you've got kind of market structure that drives innovation. You've got regulatory reforms that typically drive innovation. Uh, and then you've got underlying new technologies uh, that people begin to leverage. And I think all of those things come together uh, when it comes to, you know, electronic trading and, and kind of how we view our role and how we leverage technology and adapt to the regulatory environment um, and work with clients to kind of achieve kind of best quality uh in terms of performance and execution. I think that those are the things that ultimately drive the day. Um we can talk a lot about the big macro trend that that's kind of leading to all these changes first and then kind of get into some of the market structure changes as well. But macro trend of systematic trading that is out there. and that's been happening now over the course of the last five to ten years. Um, and what I mean by systematic trading is this actual real science around measuring performance, measuring execution quality, um, that's happening by the largest institutions in the world. Um, and, and that's happening across the board, even on the retail end of things when you when you look at some of the new rules, that are going to be proposed around transparency, around how orders are being executed and and what the execution quality is. Um, It's just this holistic macro trend that's happening. And the more you have investors focusing on the implementation cost uh, of their transactions, the more you have investors that are focused on getting the best performance uh, and then using that performance to judge their brokers, whether it's on the institutional side, uh, in the way that big institutions are leveraging wheels to make decisions about where they route their flow to, or the the retail investor who's going to be using kind of new tools uh, that the SEC is is proposing um, in in terms of new reporting around transparency and performance, that trend really is 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 shaking up the industry uh, in, in a pretty profound way. Uh, It's happening across the board in terms of providers and how they're leveraging technology to to do that. Uh, And it's also happening on the venue level. Um, The venue level for me is really talking about kind of the exchanges and the ATSs. Um, And what we're seeing because of this macro trend, we're seeing a lot of innovation um, that is increasing and we're seeing a lot of convergence between what was traditionally done on an exchange and what was traditionally done off exchange so right now thing is the value propositions of of both of those venues are intersecting um, and, and it really is kind of uh, becoming this golden age of, of trading um, that has really just begun you know like historically the exchange value proposition was to access the lit quote um, to do that as fast as it possibly can. Uh, potentially using different business models around maker taker and, and rebate models to incentivize liquidity. Uh, and then you had the ATSs on the other side, where that was all about access to midpoint liquidity. It was all about access to doing so with minimal information leakage um, and getting better pricing uh, at size. And now those lines have really started to blur um, as you start to see this increase in systematic approaching, approaches to trading. Um, and really leading to more innovation from all the different venues in order to really attract more liquidity and improve execution quality. So that big macro theme, and then this kind of convergence are really shaping up to create kind of a landscape that a practitioner like ourselves, whose ultimate goal is to put them all together, leverage them within an algorithmic strategy, and then deliver an outcome to, to, to the ultimate institution or, or, or trader um all come together in this this pretty magical way okay
0: so you know so first of all just uh, for our listeners and i'm not going to be an expert on this so i pulled this off of uh the website of davis polk which is a law firm but um looking at these market structure rules there are four bullet points i have here you can expand on if you think that this isn't an all-encompassing list but um, there's a new requirement for certain retail orders to be subject to order by order competition rather than being routed directly to market orders. This is the order competition rule. Um, the proposed regulation for BEST X is uh, an SEC best execution rule. You have the tick sizes proposal, an adjustment to the tick sizes at which NMS stocks um, can be quoted or traded. And then Rule 605, a uh, proposal to expand the scope and manner of execution information that is reported under. Reg NMS, Rule Six Hundred Five, and let me tell you, nothing gets the audience more fired up than having somebody read off of a law firm's website. But Joe, would you at least say that is that a kind of accurate um, all encompassing of what these proposals are, as as far as just you know, kind of bullet point form?
2: Absolutely, that that is the list, and and it would be even more boring for me to read to you. that we had to respond to those rule proposals word for word. Yeah. So we happily go through that uh, in summary form. But what we're talking about uh, really is the biggest uh, change to, to market structure in the U.S. since Reg NMS. We're talking about a holistic view, um, some holistic changes uh, on how things trade um, and a really major impact uh, to, to, to what, you know, the market structure landscape is going to look like uh, as these rules proposals become rules and, and, and get implemented. So sure. have to talk about that in terms of timing. Uh, these rule proposals were, were, were kind of released almost about a year ago at this point. Um, comment period is is up. Uh, there have been many, many comments uh, from, from the industry about these proposals. I'd say in general, the, the commentary has been more dramatically negative than I've ever seen in the past in terms of people's perception of, you know, the rules themselves. Are they necessary? Are they doing it the right way? Um, A lot of controversy uh, around most of the rules. So. I guess we can start with uh, probably the least controversial um, and then we can talk about the most controversial uh, and then probably talk about the meat, which is in the middle. Um, So in terms of the least controversial, Uh, like we were talking about before in terms of the systematic approach to trading and and people driving their trading behavior based on performance, Rule 605 is a way for the retail investor to get a scorecard on how their brokers are performing when they send them orders. Um, There is something like that today. This is an enhanced version of that that's going to give investors more transparency around what happens and what are the outcomes related to their trading decisions. And hopefully, we'll give them a really nice guide to being able to tell which brokers are really doing well and, and which brokers are not doing as well and help guide them in terms of their broker selection around routing their orders. This is really important. Uh, the retail the retail investor is, is in a critically important part of US market structure. Um, it, it has become now um, much more democratized for people to be able to engage in building their wealth through investing uh, in, in the stock market and addressing transparency around that, helping them have more tools to understand, uh, you know, the, the execution quality of their orders, I think is is really important. It seems like everybody's pretty much on board with this one, the least controversial of, of the four major proposals, uh, and one that I think uh, should get passed. And We'll see how it goes uh, from there. Okay. So that one's pretty straightforward, but nice that it really is in line with what we we're talking about in terms of this, this big macro trend uh, that's happening. Now jump, if you want, to the most controversial
0: one. Absolutely. That That's the one that everybody wants to hear about. They don't want to hear about the least. They want to hear about the most. So the
2: most controversial one is, is this order-by-order order competition. Um, and, and this is really an interesting one because the root behind it is this desire um, from the regulator, uh, and I believe a desire from all investors to create an opportunity where institutional orders and retail orders have more of an opportunity to engage with each other um, without any intermediation. Uh, and I think that where that's important is that as the retail Market becomes a much more significant part of overall trading, that they are given the same opportunities uh, to trade with other investors um, at the midpoint. In the current market structure today, most of retail trading is happening uh, with the intermediation of a market maker. Um, And the market maker does a lot of things that are incredible. Um, They are really, you know, have created an environment in many ways. To allow this proliferation of retail to exist. But there are opportunities for retail and institutional investors to interact based on how the market structure has evolved, how technology has evolved, how people who are leveraging that use it today, that I think would be more efficient uh, than what we have uh, in, in today's current market structure. So, Chess? This rule. Goes- I'm
0: sorry, can you just talk about. When you talk about that, technologies have advanced, because it's certainly for our audience, I think that's what they're going to want to really pinpoint on. How has that technology advanced? What do you think is the more efficient way of doing that using new newer technologies that are available to the market?
2: Yeah, there there, there are orders uh, that you can send in, on a conditional basis that allow you to go out without having to you know pick a place um, and waste a lot of time looking for flow to just say, hey, I'm here, if you're here too, let's match. So mm-hmm. the whole conditional order flow, uh, you know, kind of paradigm, I think lends itself really well to being able to look for opportunities to execute at the midpoint or better if you're retail um, in a way that today's technology allows for where when when this all started, it just wasn't there yet. You didn't even have that kind of order type. So. Um, there's a way there's ways of doing this that I think are important, uh, and then the auction methodologies that exist today in order to do that are are, are there in the marketplace. Um, I think the issue with with this order by order competition rule is that it's very, very prescriptive, and it basically is saying that all orders from a retail broker have to go to this particular auction and then be eligible for a midpoint execution before they can do anything else. Um, And I think that that prescriptive aspect of it is the one where we took issue. I think that what we were looking for, and I think where our comment letter on this topic was different than everyone else's on the street because it was either people who said they loved it and they should have it, or most everybody saying they should hate it and there's no place for this. What we're looking for is for the SEC to help create an environment, really reforming the competition by creating a a space for retail and institutional orders to interact without that intermediation. Um, And that even though auctions are a viable mechanism for that natural engagement, we think that there really needs to be some revision to the design that they put forth. And that most importantly, these have to be non-mandatory auctions, right? There has to be guidance from the SEC on held orders, and then updates to 605, which would allow market forces to determine whether brokers will use and ultimately what the success of these retail auctions will be. And I think that that's a, that's the big difference, right? It's this shouldn't be a mandate to force someone to trade a particular way, but the environment it, to 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 have that flourish in real competition is what's necessary and that that's not there today right like today well,
0: th- sorry joe, joe forgive me uh, for because i i am learning just like the audience in a lot of ways so i'm i i am a writer and i talk to a lot of people and that and then i write a story podcasting i've been doing this since 2015 but i'm not a good podcaster in any way i'm not a good live interviewer but so let me ask you this can you at least provide i, I know you don't agree with it but what's the devil's ar- argument for this mandatory, um, this, this kind of prescriptive mandatory structure that the SEC is proposing?
2: Yeah, I think, look, the SEC, they're looking at this and they are saying, hey, we've got data. And this, I believe, is the first time they've ever used uh, the cap to do this type of analysis. And yeah. what they're seeing is a lot of order flow that is resident at the midpoint. That is not getting interacted interacted with. That is basically being ignored, uh, and executions of retail orders taking place, maybe with you know small marginal price improvement given to them, just off the bid and the offer. Mm-hmm. And their data is saying, hey, you know, the fact that this is happening is costing investors money, mm-hmm. and investors should have the opportunity no matter where they send their order to trade at a better price if there's someone ready willing and able to 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 give that price there
0: so then walk me through this then (laughs) because because i'm also cognizant of your time and so i just want to touch on subject matter that i i think that our, our our audience would care most about um and this has all been very informative from a from a preparing perspective How do you go about interacting with your third party providers to perhaps put some structure in place, I guess, for what these proposals could be? So, Rule 605, you know, being the less controversial on up um, uh, to the more prescriptive stuff. How do you work with your third party providers right now and then your internal teams to try so you're not just completely caught off guard?
2: Yeah, I think, look, the implementation of rules like this uh, definitely is, is a very challenging endeavor, uh, depending mm-hmm. on how they end up. Um, it, it's multiple teams that are involved in making sure that you're ready to implement uh, that rule when, when the time comes. Um, for us, much of the work that we do is internal uh, in terms of our own development teams working through the platform to be able to build uh, the structure around whatever these new rules are. Um, and that's going to be a tremendous amount of work. Um, I think ultimately the goals are, right, if you do this work, you're going to make the marketplace better, more efficient, more competitive, uh, and you'll be able to continue to grow uh, in in terms of overall participation, and investors will be able to have, you know, more meaningful returns uh, on their investments. But um, working with vendors you know, similar to, to working internally, it's, you know, coming up with a project plan, understanding the scope of the work, understanding what needs to be be built, what needs to be plugged in and tested and, and then ultimately rolled out. So, you know, there's a. Can I, can I cut you off there and, and just ask sure. you this? What
0: do, what's a pet peeve of yours when it comes to working with vendors? And so for something that's very ambiguous like this, um, that you still have no idea where the chips are going to fall. What are the recommendations that you make, like you know, for things that vendors do well versus the the stuff that kind of drives you crazy and you and your team are screaming at a vendor about?
2: Yeah, I could tell you, you know, just looking at it from ourselves because we are a vendor and a developer. Uh, sure. The things that are most important are, are making sure that you've got a really solid scope, right, and that you're not allowing scope creep to come in as you're trying to build something that you've really done a great job to have a very specific scope of work that you're looking to do uh, and that you're doing the planning um, well in advance of any line of code being written. I think that that's really important. So um, in the end of the day, ambiguity is the enemy of these things. Uh, That's why before getting into writing a line of code, you want to make sure that you understand the rule, that you understand what has to be built, uh, you understand the resources that it's going to take. It's the old kind of you know measure twice, cut once philosophy. Um, and I think the biggest pet peeve around that is having the kind of changes as you go uh, or, yep. or uh, starting out where this was the scope and then you know midway through, we're like, well, we have to do something else. Uh, yep. And I think that that's something that all vendors struggle with um including ourselves
0: let me tell you this is obviously a conversation it's very broad it's very you know there's there's a lot that we can unpack with all four of those kind of components of of the market structure proposals from the SEC um I though I know you have a very busy day um so we're gonna leave it there but I uh, Joe I appreciate you at least kind of giving us this base level uh discussion of what it is and how uh, a company like yours is going about addressing it?
2: Yeah, really appreciate the time to talk about it. Obviously, these rules are coming up now, being a, a year or so into the the comment period. You know, we expect something to happen over the next quarter or so, uh, and at that point, uh, you're really going to be uh, on on the cusp of the largest market market structure change uh, to the U.S. market in 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 decade in a decade. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I'm going to throw you a curveball here really right at the end, but uh, just apologies because it just popped my head. But how much should the election? because obviously, as you said, like, so in the next quarter or so, you're expecting something to come in. How much would the elections and then Gensler potentially not be in there, um, you know, come a year from now, uh, a little more than a year from now?
2: Um, does that play into it at all or no? That is a, a fantastic question and, and you know the answer to that really is unknown. I would say that you know these are the Gensler proposals. Um, yeah. We will see if they become the Gensler rules. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, Joe, thanks so much. All right, thanks so much. take care.